Section 34 of A Book of Sibyls by Anne Thackeray Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jane Austen, Part 2. The charm of friends of pen and ink is their unchangeableness. We go to them when we want them. We know where to seek them. We know what to expect from them. They are never preoccupied. They are always at home. They never turn their backs nor walk away as people do in real life nor let their houses and leave the neighbourhood and disappear for weeks together they are never taken up with strange people nor suddenly absorbed into some more genteel society or by some nearer fancy even the most volatile among them is to be counted upon we may have neglected them and yet when we meet again they are the familiar old friends and we seem to find our old selves again in their company for us time has perhaps passed away feelings have swept by leaving interests and recollections in their place but at all ages there must be days that belong to our youth hours that will recur so long as men forbear and women remember and life itself exists perhaps the most fashionable marriage on the topping no longer excites us very much but the sentiment of an emma or an anne elliot comes home to some of us as vividly as ever it is something to have such old friends who are so young an emma blooming without a wrinkle or grey hair after twenty years acquaintance and elizabeth bennet sprightly and charming ever in the roundabout papers there is a passage about the pen and ink friends my father loved they used to call the good sir walter the wizard of the north what if some writer should appear who can write so enchantingly that he shall be able to call into actual life the people whom he invents what if mignon and margaret and goetz von berlichingen are alive now though i don't say they are visible and dugald dalgetty and ivanhoe were to step in at that open window by the little garden yonder suppose uncas and our noble old leather-stocking were to glide in silent suppose athos porthos and aramis should enter with a noiseless swagger curling their moustaches and dearest amelia booth on uncle toby's arm and tittlebat titmouse with his hair dyed green and all the crummles company of comedians with the gil blas troupe and sir roger de coverley and the greatest of all crazy gentlemen the knight of la mancha with his blessed squire i say to you i look rather wistfully towards the window musing upon these people were any of them to enter i think i should not be very much frightened are not such friends as these and others unnamed here but who will come unannounced to join the goodly company creations that like some people do actually make part of our existence and make us the better for theirs to express some vague feelings is to stamp them have we any one of us a friend in a knight of la mancha a colonel newcombe a sir roger de coverley they live for us even though they may have never lived they are and do actually make part of our lives one of the best and noblest parts to love them is like a direct communication with the great and generous minds that conceived them it is difficult reading the novels of succeeding generations to determine how much each book reflects of the time in which it was written how much of its character depends on the mind and the mood of the writer 
the greatest minds the most original have the least stamp of the age the most of that dominant natural reality which belongs to all great minds we know how a landscape changes as the day goes on and how the scene brightens and gains in beauty as the shadows begin to lengthen the clearest eyes must see by the light of their own hour jane austen's literary hour must have been a midday hour bright unsuggestive with objects standing clear without much shadow or elaborate artistic effect our own age is more essentially an age of strained emotion little remains to us of starch or powder or courtly reserve what we have lost in calm in happiness in tranquillity we have gained in emphasis our danger is now not of expressing and feeling too little but of expressing more than we feel the living writers of to-day lead us into distant realms and worlds undreamt of in the placid and easily contented gigot age our characters travel by rail and are no longer confined to post-chases there is certainly a wide difference between miss austen's heroines and let us say a maggie tulliver one would be curious to know whether between the human beings who read jane austen's books to-day and those who read them fifty years ago there is as great a contrast one reason may be perhaps that characters in novels are certainly more intimate with us and on less ceremonious terms than in jane austen's days when heroines never gave up a certain gentle self-respect and humour and hardness of heart in which some modern types are a little wanting whatever happens they could for the most part speak of quietly and without bitterness love with them does not mean a passion so much as an interest deep silent not quite incompatible with the secondary flirtation marianne dashwood's tears are evidently meant to be dried jane bennett smiles sighs and makes excuses for binkley's neglect emma passes one disagreeable morning making up her mind to the unnatural alliance between mr knightley and harriet smith it was the spirit of the age and perhaps one not to be unenvied it was not that jane austen herself was incapable of understanding a deeper feeling in the last written page of her last written book there is an expression of the deepest and truest experience annie elliot's talk with captain benfield is the touching utterance of a good woman's feelings they are speaking of men and of women's affections you are always laboring and toiling she says exposed to every risk and hardship your home country friends all united neither time nor life to be called your own it would be too hard indeed with a faltering voice if a woman's feelings were to be added to all this further on she says eagerly i hope i do justice to all that is felt by you and by those who resemble you god forbid that i should undervalue the warm and faithful feelings of any of my fellow-creatures i should deserve utter contempt if i dared to suppose that true attachment and constancy were known only by woman no i believe you capable of everything good and great in your married lives i believe you equal to every important exertion and to every domestic forbearance so long as 
if i may be allowed the expression so long as you have an object i mean while the woman you love lives and lives for you all the privilege i claim for my own sex it is not a very enviable one you need not court it is that of loving longest when existence or when hope is gone she could not immediately have uttered another sentence her heart was too full her breath too much oppressed dear anne elliot sweet impulsive womanly tender-hearted one can almost hear her voice pleading the cause of all true women in those days when perhaps people's nerves were stronger than they are now sentiment may have existed in a less degree or have been more ruled by judgment it may have been calmer and more matter-of-fact and yet jane austen at the very end of her life wrote thus her words seem to ring in our ears after they have been spoken anne elliot must have been jane austen herself speaking for the last time there is something so true so womanly about her that it is impossible not to love her most of all she is the bright-eyed heroine of the earlier novels matured softened cultivated to whom fidelity has brought only greater depth and sweetness instead of bitterness and pain what a difficult thing it would be to sit down and try to enumerate the different influences by which our lives have been affected influences of other lives of art of nature of place and circumstance of beautiful sights passing before our eyes or painful ones seasons following in their course hills rising on our horizons scenes of ruin and desolation crowded thoroughfares sounds in our ears jarring or harmonious the voices of friends calling warning encouraging of preachers preaching of people in the street below complaining and asking our pity what long processions of human beings are passing before us what trains of thought go sweeping through our brains man seems a strange and ill-kept record of many and bewildering experiences looking at oneself not as oneself but as an abstract human being one is lost in wonder at the vast complexities which have been brought to bear upon it lost in wonder and in disappointment perhaps at the discordant result of so great a harmony only we know that the whole diapason is beyond our grasp one man cannot hear the note of the grasshoppers another is deaf when the cannon sounds waiting among these many echoes and mysteries of every kind and light and darkness and life and death we seize a note or two of the great symphony and try to sing and because these notes happen to jar we think all is discordant hopelessness then come pressing onward in the crowd of life voices with some of the notes that are wanting to our own part voices tuned to the same key as our own or to an accordant one making harmony for us as they pass us by perhaps this is in life the happiest of all experience and to few of us there exists any more complete ideal and so now and then in our lives when we learn to love a sweet and noble character we all feel happier and better for the goodness and charity which is not ours and yet which seems to belong to us while we are near it 
just as some people and states of mind affect us uncomfortably so we seem to be true to ourselves with a truthful person generous-minded with a generous nature life seems less disappointing and self-seeking when we think of the just and sweet and unselfish spirits moving untroubled among dinning and distracting influences these are our friends in the best and noblest sense we are the happier for their existence it is so much gain to us they may have lived at some distant time we may never have met face to face or we may have known them and been blessed by their love but their light shines from afar their life is for us and with us in its generous example their song is for our ears and we hear it and love it still though the singer may be lying dead End of section thirty four